Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, the only podcast where two friends talk about the stuff that they like, and they don't give a flying F who hears it. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. <laughs> this is our podcast, Ruin My Life. Uh, the, um, the, the name kind of, we've kind of lost the plot in terms of what the name means. Let's revisit uh, it. Yeah, let's yeah, that's let's, let's recenter ourselves as we enter this new. Uh, it's this been new like phase five years. Lives. I don't know what we're doing anymore. That's true. <laughs> it has been uh, like five years. That's 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 very true. Um, the, the original idea was that people were going to talk about like how stuff impacted their lives, right? I mean, I think they're just going to talk about stuff they loved so much that it like kind of ruined them and changed them in a way. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean that makes sense for guests, but it's kind of a high bar to set for ourselves every every, every time. <laughs> yeah like every other week we're gonna totally rewrite our minds it's just about liking stuff it's about that's unbridled enthusiasm it's about yeah we're, we're pro enthusiasts before we were a leftist podcast we were an enthusiast podcast and we're still an enthusiast podcast we're enthusiastic about leftism exactly we're enthusiastic about dismantling the the class structure um, or, or I guess changing it just so we're on top and everyone else is on the bottom. I don't know. Whatever works. Whatever we do <laughs> faster is all I, I really Something care like about. Something like that, yeah. So, Kelsey, this episode we're talking about the one and only Stephen King. Stephen King. The most popular living writer, I assume. Uh, I didn't fact check that or anything, but that seems right. Probably. A noted horror visionary. You know, cultural touchstone. Uh, hilariously nerdy looking man. He's got a very... very 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 funny uh specific this, look he's got a specific look yeah he's very like he's a northwestern northwestern oh god northeastern yeah so god listen i'm gonna get listen, executed this, this man the... this man is the is the product of maine i assume <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe that yeah he is i can't believe i got on the podcast <laughs> and was like i'm gonna share my love of stephen king with kelsey and with the world and the first thing i said was yeah he's from the northwest as if this is not this, the most main guy of all time. This, this man is so main. He has Moxie running through his veins. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he fucks with Portland, but not that Portland. Not that Portland. The other, the other, the other Portland. Portland. The one no one ever, <laughs> ever thinks about. The one in Maine. <laughs> yeah. So where to begin with a man who has so many so many books to his name? Such a such a. Well, we've you know we've sort of touched on Stephen King before via The Shining, right? That's true. We did talk about Stephen King in the Shining episode. Now, I'm assuming that there was at some point in that episode a little little ding sound effect to indicate that we would and do another episode are. in the future. And guess what, guys? Here we are. That was all planned. We had that in <laughs> mind from the beginning. We all... had a plan. <laughs> uh, we uh, All episodes of this podcast were planned out in advance in 2016. <laughs> uh, down to Even down to the idea that we weren't going to do but like five or six episodes in 2020. in 2020 we we knew we knew we were gonna need a break then we knew something yeah. was gonna happen <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know what it was but honestly it couldn't have worked out better True. <laughs> i think that's what everyone feels about the last year right totally that it, that it went as good as it could have gone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway stephen king um <laughs> so king. to set the stage i'm gonna do what they do on the podcast uh, the king cast which is a stephen king podcast that i kind of credit with getting me back into Stephen King, or rather, reawakening my my deep love for Stephen King's work and his universe uh, over the past year, uh, hosted by Scott Wampler and Eric Vespi. Shout out to King Cast. Uh, but every time they have a guest, they have them do their King origin story, which is how they you know came to encounter Stephen King. 
And it's almost okay. always like, it makes me feel weird because everyone's always like, well, they're mostly a little bit older than I am, right? So they like yeah. saw the books as they were coming out, like in their parents' house or like on the bookshelves or in bookstores and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm not like that. I, I was, uh, you know, I was born in 1989. Uh, so, you know, I missed that first wave of King fandom. Uh, but but my story is you know is not dissimilar from theirs. Also, they they were mostly younger. Like it's a lot of people who were like eight or nine and they read it and it completely like rewired their brains. Uh, okay, which is not, sure. Which is not my, it seems a little young. I mean that that's another seems- recurring thing is right that people get to him when they're too young. Uh, but I was I'm gonna say fifteen or sixteen I think, and I believe a family member got me the short story collection Everything's Eventual for Christmas. Um, which was which is very good. It's not what we're here to talk about, but it's a very good collection. And then the real the real thing, the real time I got really like obsessed with and like truly invested in Stephen King was in my junior year of high school. Um, and I thought a lot about how to explain this without like getting you know delving too deeply into my own personal psychological history, which is just not such a, such a thing I don't want to do on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> not all at once. I kind of like to dole it out in, in you know drips and drabs over the years. Yeah. Of course. Um, but I, I had some, yeah, I had some issues in junior year of high school that like were very like, you know, sort of uh, took a, a lot of space up in my mind, right? I was very preoccupied and like, you know, fixated on a lot of stuff that was like really making me not feel so good. And I, and, and I started reading Stephen King books and I would like, I would like just fall into these things. Like, you know, I started with The Stand as probably my first big, like real, like I'm going to really get into Stephen King now. And it's like a thousand pages. I have vivid memories of reading it backstage at high school during play practice or musical practice. I'm not sure which one play practice. And uh, yeah, I mean, these are you know, Stephen King is very good at making books that are very long and you can really sort of lose yourself in, especially the stand, which is, I, I would have done it for this episode, but it's, it's, you know, it's so long and it's like in many ways, I think the perfect place to begin with Stephen King, but it's also quite a commitment. I didn't want to throw you in the deep end quite that fast. Thank you for that. I appreciate um, it. But I got, I, the thing that really drew me in, the thing that I've been kind of like circling around that, that, that's so changed the way I thought about fiction and how I, and the fiction that I want to consume and make is that uh, Stephen King's universe is, is a universe. It is a, well, it's more, I guess it's more of a multiverse if you want to get technical about it. But there are themes and concepts and characters even and just you know through lines that connect pretty much his entire body of work and they all they all center around the dark tower series which again is not what we're doing here today um but of course in in high school in junior year i eventually devoted myself to the task of reading the entire dark tower series and then every ancillary book that was like heavily connected to the dark tower world and to the series which is quite a task to set for yourself and I failed. I did not succeed in the slightest. But I I consumed like, you know, I was going through like an 800 page book every week and a half or two weeks. That's crazy, man. I did not read that much ever. (laughs) Listen, I was really into it. I was, if you want to lose yourself in a world, um, the, the world of Stephen King is like among the best to do that in. And the thing that gets me, and this is where I'll kind of try to try to draw us back into a discussion that's not just me talking. 
Um, what I've always liked about it is that it is, a, it is a fictional universe that has one foot always in our universe. It's not, and we've talked about this on the podcast, I think, uh, that we both kind of have a difficulty engaging with works of fiction, like high fantasy. Or, yeah, where it's like totally disconnected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to know that, and, and there's a Dark Tower book that is just about this process, right? But I need to know that someone could open a door, a magical door, real door, whatever, and step into this world. I, that, that feeling is so powerful to me, and Stephen King communicates it so well in the Dark Tower series and then in, in various forms throughout the rest of his work. Um, that, and there's no other author I've, I've encountered that does that so well. And is also like, again, he's massively popular. So there's like- He's also crazy prolific. Like He's, he's insanely prolific. So much. Because I think like, you know, <laughs> you know as, as much as she's ruined all of her goodwill, I would say that JK Rowling a- achieves that very well. Um, and is also massively popular as far as what her output, but the she's not nearly as prolific as Stephen King, and also has a lot of issues. Not that he doesn't have his own issues, but <laughs> which we will discuss. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the fact that he doesn't—he's <laughs> fine. He's he's perfect, and he's never made a mistake uh, ever. Ever. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about he, he certainly hasn't ruined his goodwill in the way that J.K. Rowling has. No, he would he would Stephen King in in like the the in the in the current era is like outside of being a writer, he is like a, an old Twitter liberal, which is fine because he again is like seventy years old, and the fact that he is like to the left at all, uh, especially when you consider what happened with J.K. Rowling. Yeah, Rowling, Rowling. Oh man, uh, I got to cut that out, or Sarah's going to really really be like upset. <laughs> rolling like bowling i get it um yeah but it looks like rowling it, it makes me crazy uh confusing yeah he he is um he's done pretty well for himself he said he says some cringy stuff online but again he's a 70 year old man <laughs> like like if he's not like actively you know spreading like well i don't know if i want to say that well and i he, think i think it also like has to do with like the generation he's beloved by in a lot of ways too um mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I don't want to talk about J.K. Rowling on the Stephen King podcast. Um, but yeah, no, I like. I think uh, I I I love that you like got really into Stephen King in high school. Like that feels so correct for you. Because sometimes I think about high school Jason, and I'm like, would high school Jason and high school Kelsey have been friends? And the thing is, no, <laughs> they probably would not have been friends. But they would have been on Tech Crew together. And probably would have been like chill. <laughs> yes, yes, I think they would have been friendly. <laughs> yeah. I think I imagine that we are we are friends and we know each other, or we're friendly and we know each other and we work together on the we quote unquote work together on a high school tech crew. On the high school um, tech crew, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then there's, there's 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 one party where we like end up talking to each other and like talk yeah. for hours and become best friends. Yeah, no, that's, that's my right. high school AU for us. <laughs> I love um, that for us. Yeah. The other high school I use where like our parents are really good friends and we hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Brutal. Brutally, oh, brutally honest. Brutally real. <laughs> Too no, real. I think I think I think high school AU, me and you definitely work on the tech crew together and are like friendly. And then like senior year, there's like one party and we're like, shit, why why were we not friends this whole time? <laughs> oh, beautiful. Bittersweet in a sense. Yeah. 
but here we are, years later, in our thirties, <laughs> actual best out. friends. And now I actually listen. Oh, that, that is nice. And I actually got you to read this 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 fucking thing. Yeah, I so, did. I read it. <laughs> so, so what we're here to talk about is specifically the collection Skeleton Crew, which was released in. I'm flipping through the book in real life right now. Is why this is taking so long. 1985. 1985. Yes, the year after that oh so famous year. 1984. 1984. Yes, uh, this is Stephen King's second short story collection, or short fiction collection, shall I say? Um, and it is good. <laughs> I, I I picked it because I my instinct was to pick something that that was more directly connected to the Dark Tower world. I mean, they're all connected, right? But I wanted to give myself the opportunity to just nerd out about that, and I will almost certainly. <laughs> Um, but I also, you know, you you wanted something that was a little bit more horror focused. And I wanted to give you a thing that I thought would be a good entryway into the broader, you know, into the, the oeuvre of Stephen King. And also, like, I think that his, you know, I love so many of his novels, but I think Stephen King's best writing is his short fiction. I agree with that assessment. I did not love all of the stories in this book, but I think that he's definitely the kind of writer who can get too caught up in the minutiae of everything, which I get because I am also the same way when I'm <laughs> writing. <laughs> um, which is like, you know, I'm, you know, so I, I get that. And so like when you're trying to keep something like short and specific, it it kind of helps it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I also like, I, I, I wanted something to, you know, that was more horror focused because I feel like that's what I personally associate Stephen King with um, because I've only read one Stephen King book previous to this and it was not really that. Um, uh, I've, I read uh, 112263, um, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast, not like specifically, but I've mentioned that I've read it. And that's more like me being like weirdly fascinated with the idea of assassinations and and their like collective uh like ripples in in uh society and history i wrote a whole paper about it in college <laughs> um, um uh then like and that was like the thing that interests me interested me not like the stephen king of it all um uh but no i did i did read that and like i enjoyed that book in a lot of ways but i think this was a much more uh specific intro to what Stephen King is about. And his short fiction collections are also very good because you do get the classic King horror stuff, but all of his, all of his short fiction collections will have at least one or two, if not more uh, stories that are really just like, I don't quite want to say literary fiction because Stephen King is like, you know, he's commercial genre fiction. Primarily it's like focused on story and character and plot uh, you know, the content is not experimental. The form is not experimental. Uh, but there are, you know, he, he when he writes about just human stuff, even if there's a supernatural tinge to it, uh, often that work is like, I find really powerful and like very yeah. like, you know, and, and not not really scary at all, uh, but just sort of very like, you know, he has a real, he's a very humane writer. And I think that shines through very clearly in, in some of the, his short fiction, best of all. I would actually say that the, the, um, pieces of this book that I enjoyed the most were more towards what I would call sci-fi than like horror. Mm. Um, 
I mean, and that's not like totally true, but like I'm just going to get into it if you're okay with that. Yeah, no, please go um, ahead. My favorite uh, story in this book was The Jaunt, which is I think is definitely a sci-fi um, story. Uh, uh, it's pretty early in the book, and I you know I had some a little bit of trouble getting into it because the first the first story in this book is The Mist, which is um, I think a pretty classic Stephen King story. Um, that has been made into a movie, which we will probably watch at some point. Um, but uh, it was very long. And also I felt like I felt could have been way shorter as far as like what it did. Um, I was like, this does not need to be because I, I also like listeners will know I listen to audiobooks. Generally, I don't like read books in the traditional sense. <laughs> um, we, are, we are pro audiobook so, on this podcast. That is a pro audiobook. From day one, on we've podcast. been about that. Um, and so like, I'm listening to the mist and I'm like, this is like long for a short story. Like it is like, I, I finally finished it and I was like, that's a novella that like, that could have been a whole thing on its own. And I think it was published on its own at some point. Um, but actually, actually, uh, it was, it was published on its own when the movie came out as like a promotional tie in previously, it had only appeared in, um, in like in another like a, like a multi author collection. Okay. Uh, and th- this is, I, I will say this is the one point where an audiobook is kind of uh, troubling because if you were reading the book, like naturally, like, sorry, not naturally. If you were reading it in, on paper, you would naturally see like, Oh, this is actually, this is much longer. Like you just flip ahead and you'd, you'd see the table of contents. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, this is a novella. But if you're listening yeah. to it and you're expecting a short fiction or a short story, uh, that can be quite, yeah, I could see how that could throw you off. Although I do want to say, uh, just to get it out there, but the thing that gets me about the mist is not that it's too long. It's that it's, I, I think he he really he he got. It's like a Stephen King novel, but he cut out all the other stuff. Like he really <laughs> tried, tried to condense his like style and like get rid of as many of his like or like you know kind of uh, you know cut down on his uh, his quirks and just tell a story. And mm-hmm. that's what I love about it. But I understand it was like, maybe you weren't super into it. Well, and it's like, I could have like looked ahead, like the, the, the audiobook split out by chapters. I could have seen how like many hours it was. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But you, you would, you might not do that. You wouldn't necessarily yeah. do that. And that's totally and, understandable. And I, things, like, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy it. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't think it was bad. I just was not expecting it to be as long as it was. And I think if I had looked at it from the point of view of being a Stephen King novel that was like all the extraneous bits pulled out, like I would have enjoyed it a lot more. Like if I'd been reading The Mist on its own and outside of this collection, I think I would have probably enjoyed it a lot. Um, I, I mean, it's also like really interesting... Um, because Stephen King has this really, um, great way of using time. Like, I don't feel like a lot of his stories take place over a long period of time. Um, they, at least in this book, like they are all very like, uh, specifically temporal in a way that, um, um, you know, because I think the mist is only like what, like a week, maybe at the most, um, maybe two or three like, days. Yeah, I think it's like three days. Yeah, um, and I think that that is is really interesting. And even even the stories that feel longer, um, 
the second to last story in the book, The Ballad of the Flexible Bullet, which um, is, I think, probably the second longest story also, um, is like the, the, the events that happen take place over a long period of time, but it's all framed as this guy telling this story over like one sitting and I don't know it, it, it's like really deft and, and wonderful and, and full the way that he does it to go back to the point I was originally making <laughs> is that my favorite story in this whole book was the jaunt which I would definitely consider like a sci-fi story more than anything um and it is so well done and so well like executed that like I was upset that I didn't like the stories around it as much. Like I wanted to go back and listen to it again because it is very, very well done and very well written and like interesting, like an interesting in a world building way, but also interesting in a character way. And, you know, for me, that was just like the epitome of like, okay, this is what I understand Stephen King can be and why people can like attach to this because I like, I wanted a whole universe built around that story, you know? Yeah. And it's also just like, uh, like super fucked up and upsetting. Oh, crazy, crazy fucked up. (laughs) Like like the, the jaunt is, is he doesn't always, I mean, Stephen King has a bad rap. I think, somewhat unearned to a certain extent uh he has a bad rap for having bad endings and i and i and i and i get again i, I kind of get that but also like that 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 is i think exaggerated in discussions about his longer fiction and in his short fiction it's totally irrelevant like the jaunt is all about like it is about, it is about building this world, entire world from scratch right but it's also all about the final punch the, the final twist of what happens to this this family uh, going through this like this 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 jaunt process, uh, and I don't want to give anything away because it's like a really good story, and I want people to if they haven't read it to read it. Uh, Stephen King, if you, check him out. He's got some good ones. If you're not into like reading a whole book by Stephen King, just go find the jaunt as a story. Yeah. The internet's huge. I'm sure you can find <laughs> the story somewhere um, because it's it's really fucking great. It is it is like messed up, but like it's really fucking great. And uh, I was like, so I was doing the dishes when I listened to it and I like literally <laughs> stopped at one point. Like I stopped like scrubbing the dishes and was just like listening because I was like, wait, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was reading it and again rereading it. I read the story, you know, fifteen years ago for the first time, uh, and reading it again. And I, the, the ending has sort of lived in my head ever since then. And reading it again, getting towards the point when they take the jaunt, my hands were sweating. And like I know it's going to happen. Also, I'm reading a fucking story. It's not real, but it's so it's so like the the sense of pacing and timing and like the way he builds up this world, like all all just sort of like bring this one emotional catastrophe crashing down on this one family is so amazing and the way you don't know until like over halfway through the story that this is what you know the this the dad is like telling this this history and everything which is like you i think i was thinking about it afterwards like it's so fucked up that he's telling his kids this right before they're gonna do this (laughs) like yeah yeah like it's so messed up but like in and like the whole time i'm thinking okay so Something bad is going to happen, but I'm thinking it's going to happen to one of the other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, like spoiler alert, it's 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 <laughs> fucked up. But this the 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 storytelling is so wonderful and so good, and like it's just such a well crafted piece of fiction from a world building standpoint and from 
like a character development standpoint like you feel like you know who the characters are and I I just you know that was the point when I was reading this book where I was like okay I get it <laughs> and, and Stephen King has like dipped his toe in sci-fi like in in some of his other short fiction I think well there's another story in this in this collection we can get to later but I'm thinking more of his novels like the Tommyknockers and Under the Dome, which are two of his like least loved works ever, uh, and so and so he's not really got a real strong handle on sci-fi stuff most of the time. Um, so that makes it even even more insane that he he wrote this 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 great thing that imagines like this entire complete world that clearly is like drawn. He's drawing on the uh, political climate of the time when he wrote it. And like, you know, and well, these are all things that are relevant nowadays. It's like energy, you know, shortages, uh, oil, trying to like, you know, the, the, the fact that we're fucking killing the planet every day. Uh, these are all, you know, very relevant things. But he's drawing, it's like, it's like current social political stuff. And he's like building it all together in this wonderful little package of like this like little short story that delivers this whole experience. And it's so crazy that when he like writes about sci-fi and like alien shit in his like longer books, he just can't do it. But in this format, for some reason, he wrote one of the best things he's ever written. I was so, because I didn't love like the, the stuff leading up to it, you know, um, the, the, the books, the, the, the stories that I liked a lot from this were all after that. So I was like, by the point we got to that, I was like kind of in a like place where I was like, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this. Um, and then we got there and I was like, oh shit, this is good. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it's just like, I, it's so amazing how like one singular short story can sort of like capture that much. I, I think you've identified something very important too, which is the, the the framing of the story and of now that I'm looking through it, actually maybe like a fourth of the stories in here. Uh, the framing is someone telling the story to someone else. And that I is, I think he's very adept at the frame tale in, in yes. a way that a lot of authors are not. And he truly, and you, I think it really comes from a very genuine, like Stephen King is maybe the most, unpretentious writer of all time and i truly just mean like he is like incapable of producing work that has like an air of like of like you know of anything that he can't actually attain like he's like he's not bullshitting you this this is coming straight from his fucking head and this is how it's coming out and uh, you know hopefully it's good hopefully you like it um but he has such a clear genuine love for the act of telling stories and he makes that very clear and like part of the text in some cases like i'm thinking about the man who would not shake hands which is like all about this 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 little this 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 fantastical club where these men meet in like like a, a fancy like like i don't know they all like it's like a smoking jacket type situation it, yeah it's like a gentleman's club kind gentleman's of situation club, but not like a, that like a traditional gentleman's club. gentleman's club like a you know right. 1930s gentleman's club um I, I think like a lot of these stories there other than one there is like this element of like a frame a framed narrative the man who would not shake hands um survivor type even because you're you're sort of reading it from as a diary entry yeah. um from like a later <laughs> point of view um and then the ballad of the flexible bullet which i also really liked a lot um they're all in this sort of like framed narrative um, where someone is telling the story, um, 
which I think is like is such an interesting thing to think about. But he he clearly has this appreciation for this this act of storytelling so much so that like the act of storytelling becomes part of the story. The only story I think that that isn't like that that I really like connected to was uh, the word processor of the gods, which um. I really also enjoyed, but we can talk about that later if we want to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, do you have anything else you want to talk about in, in regards to the jaunt? I just like, I don't, I I want more, but I don't want more because that would ruin the like yeah. purity of the thing. Um, we think that like often, I think we think that fantasy or sci-fi or horror even has to be this huge, like layered world building thing. But like he manages to build so much into so little and like I feel like I understand this world so specifically and what it's a part of and like the bigger universe. And, you know, I don't I don't really remember if there are like specific years mentioned. Um, I feel like he probably generally avoids that, but um uh, there was definitely like one one story where there's like a specific year mentioned and I was like <laughs> but um The the, the yeah. John does have some years of like the, the John itself was basically invented in like the mid eighties, I think, but then it seems like global politics basically continued as, as is for like a few decades. So it's got a little bit of that, like classic, like sci-fi wonkiness where it's like, you're predicting what the world's going to look like in like 20 or 40 or 50 years. And that's obviously not going to pan out, which I, but I find that very charming. So that's nothing, you know, that's no, no strike against him, but you're, you're right. It really is amazing that he like has this entire world built up. And like gives like like uses it solely like basically just burns it on this one story that is like again very upsetting, uh, but it's like yeah like you you can imagine someone writing a whole like series of novels set in this world that he makes just for the fucking jaunt. And I think like the the juxtaposition between going from that to the wedding gig, which is a story <laughs> that is like takes place specifically in the past. Um, and also like, fucking sucks. It's also not great. But um, <laughs> on the audiobook is read by Paul Giamatti, which like gives it some uh. <laughs> um, is he doing like the nineteen thirties like gangster guy voice? I assume, right? Yeah. No. No. Totally. Um, I will say, uh, the audiobook for this is crazy stacked. <laughs> um, as far as like who is reading stuff. Um, at least to me, like there's a lot of, uh, there's like a, a number of like theater actors. Like um, the other thing about uh, word processor of the gods is that it is read by Norbert Leo Butts, who Ooh. I love and does a fucking great job in that specific story. Um, but yeah, but like Paul Giamatti is there. Um, there's a bunch of other people and like a, a couple people read like multiple stories because he reads another one later. Michael C. Hall reads one. I forget which one. I think as long as we're on the wedding gig, however, temporarily, I do want to acknowledge that part of what I wanted to get across with this collection uh, is that, you know, I, I picked it up and I was like trying to, you know, I have my, all my paperbacks here in the, in the apartment with me. And I, and I was flipping through different books and I opened up the con- table of contents for for uh, Skeleton Crew, and I thought, "Oh, these the, this story's so good. That one's so good. That one's so good." And then I was like, "Oh, that one's actually quite bad, though." But <laughs> I wanted I, I like that because I wanted a collection that introduces you to both the very the ways that Stephen King can be very very exceptionally good, and the ways in which he specifically can be very bad, um, yeah. because he is a as you said a very prolific writer, 
And I think a great writer, and as I've said, probably not on the podcast before, but I do believe that for a thing, or, you know, whether it's one larger work or an artist's entire output, uh, for their thing to be great, there has to be some part of it that is not good, that is actually bad. Um, like, like, because I, I don't know, there's a whole, you can go into a lot about what that means. Like, you, like I think a lot of it is just that flaws are, you know, help help the good parts stand out more. And seeing a good writer do something poorly makes you like better, more aware of what they do well. Uh, anyway, The Wedding Gig is a story about a 1940s like jazz performer who once like met a woman who was very fat is basically the whole the whole premise uh it's like it's like it's like a gangster thing there's like a you know, there's like a, a, a gangland shooting and a hit and like yeah, she becomes a, a mob boss but it's, it's basically just like like it's it's not very good right it's not very good and it also is like i mean i will say that stephen king reading parts of this book I will. Okay. So, um, the other story that I liked that my top two stories in this particular book were the John and word processor of the gods. Um, I think word processor of the gods is a really just great, like short story. Like it, it has all the hallmarks of a, a great short story. Um, and not, it's not so like rich and, and, and built as the way the John is, but it is very like well done. Uh, you know, just sec- you know, just a tier below the jaunt, I think. Um, but <laughs> what really took me out of Word Processor of the Gods is how much that uh, the 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 main character in it like does not like his wife at all, and the just sort of like, and there's a lot of this in the book. There's a lot of like sort of like I don't want to say like misogyny, but eh, like there's a lot of like commenting on women's appearance in a way that is like unnecessary to the writing (laughs) in any way um you know and you know talking about how his wife is like so fat and ugly and she's like weighs less than me (laughs) 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 it's just like um you know and that like that obviously like as (laughs) he has like there's a lot of commenting on the weight and and size of women in multiple stories in this book and in a way as a as a large woman sort of like took me out of it a little bit (laughs) yeah and i and Um, i and i definitely like i definitely respect that and i and i I don't like that stuff i want to i want to be clear i i do think that that stuff is bad and especially like i I don't want to get 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 too deep into it but yeah in in the work process of guys he's he, he makes so much so much like hay out of like Oh, you know this this guy's wife is so she's so fat. You know she's she's like she's like a pig, and then at a certain point in the story, like reality is altered to the extent that the you know that this person's life changes, and it's like, oh man, the, the narration is basically like, oh man, and he thought she was fat before, but now she was really fat, and it's like when he when he when he tells you how much she weighed originally, it's like, oh come on, man, yeah. Get, get, stop just don't why, why do you need to bring all this into it it's not he could have an unhappy like life and marriage and not have be like because she's so fat like it's really yeah. it really and like that's the thing about stephen king is that he is writing from his subconscious that that's what it is like he is a it's not quite automatic writing but the only way that he is able to produce this much output and this much work is well a 
he has an addictive personality, which is what I told you, Kelsey. I told you, like, like you know, if you ever feel upset with Stephen King you know, reading any of these stories, just know that this was the 80s when he was doing so much coke that he doesn't remember writing entire books. Uh, he was like, he was not, he was like, you know, he was suffering at the time. Not to say it excuses it, but that like, you know, you can, you can, you can sort of like, I think maybe take some of that discomfort that, that, that we feel reading this stuff um, and, and, and sort of appreciate that the person writing it was also not enjoying himself in some sense. Um, but, but no, but he is writing like just fr- things are just coming out of him, like almost faster than he can get them down is what how I feel sometimes. Right. And that's good. That means that sometimes a lot of time, actually stuff just kind of comes out without like a lot of like consideration as to have the, the impact it might have on people who are reading it. Just like, you know, he he's writing for effect and he's, he's writing very unsubtly. And I think he is capable of some subtlety. It's not really his forte though. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's not really thinking about like, Oh, if someone who, you know, someone might read this and be like, Oh, that's kind of weird and gross. It makes me feel, uncomfortable reading this steven why'd you have to do it like this he's just like and, and that, that's so baked into how he works and who he is that i don't want to say it excuses it because again I, I don't like it and i don't and again i don't, I don't want to say that people should like it um that stuff i mean uh but it does like it's kind of unavoidable is, is the unfortunate thing right and it's so <laughs> what's well, weird because it's, it's like baked into the writing again not to jump back to the author of Harry Potter, but uh, you know, it's baked into the writing in a way that like her stuff is not her personal, like weird fucked up issues that make her an unlikable person. Um, but it's like, I don't know for me, it, it, well, you know, I don't know. I don't even, I, my instinct is to sort of try to justify it and try to excuse it. Uh, I don't really want to, what I'm trying to get at is that I feel that, you know, do, do, I guess I want to ask you, do you feel that there's a way that, like stuff like this, can sort of sit within a body of work that you otherwise appreciate. I mean, yeah, like I obviously did not, you know, not appreciate parts of this. I mean, I think things took me out of it uh, in a lot of ways because I think that the thing that bothers me the most is that a lot of the times it feels so unnecessary to yeah. the narrative <laughs> um, in that like it didn't, that didn't need to be part of it. It just is, you know, Stephen King has some issues with women. Um, and that is Stephen King's issue. Um, but like, I can appreciate that the, like, you know, and, and I think, you know, we're having a lot of conversations nowadays about separating creators from their art, etc. Because like, you know, I think, I think, you know, a creator can be problematic, but their work can still mean something to you. Um, and it's not like, you know, you having an emotional connection or a connection at all with, with that piece of art doesn't, you know, necessarily mean you're a bad person, <laughs> you know? I mean, like, you know, I studied art history, like, you know, all the fucking artists in like the Renaissance and, and, you know, in even, you know, all the way up through, you know, the 1950s and, and now like uh, so many people who made great art are like problematic fucking people like, but they made great art and that sucks one <laughs> that like they're problematic people and they had like bad opinions and shit, but like, it doesn't change the way that their art made people feel necessarily, you know? And it's an yeah. interesting, you know, I think it just, it, it becomes part of, the narrative and the the historiography of their work, right? Like 
we can appreciate Stephen King's work and also be like, hey, we should maybe examine the way that Stephen King portrays women in his work because it is bad and also <laughs> um, evocative of the age in which he was writing and and like sociologically we should examine why that is you know we were talking about this off off recording you know we should look at the you know i'm not excusing stephen king for his misogyny which he clearly has a lot of um but like we should say a a lot of sorry i'm sorry (laughs) go on like he i'm not gonna be like he like is a misogynist no, I'm he not has, sorry. Say what you were gonna say. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have interrupted. Um, I'm I'm not gonna like excuse the way that Stephen King writes women, which is inherently misogynist in a lot of ways. Um, but we should examine that and sit with that and be like, why is this okay? Why did this get published? One, like, because that would not be published today. Let's be honest. Like. I mean, it might be, but, you know, you know, there's there's larger systems at work here. And like, what is Stephen King's editor's, you know, situation? What did he do? You know, and, and I don't think we should excuse people who have problematic art and stuff. And, and you know, I, I think that like I, for me, like because this is so inherently baked into the writing, it's almost easier to grapple with than something like J.K. Rowling having, you know, severely anti-trans like views and shit because like it doesn't feel like that in her writing you know like and and I know that some people have definitely like gone back and been like well we should have known from this but whatever um <laughs> that, that 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 I cannot abide that the whole like well, you you all should have known that no come on man it's it's yeah. a book about boy think- wizards <laughs> it's a book about boy wizards come on but i think like you know because this is so like part of his oeuvre like it is almost like i almost like and this is maybe the wrong way to do it but i almost like sort of take an academic approach and i'm like okay why why what can i look at this and be like and has this you know has this changed Have, have we given this person room to grow and change and i you know i the only other book i've read by stephen king is 11 which i think came out fairly recently in the 2000s i want to say um and i would say you know it's not great like i think i think stephen king is very adept at writing men and and i get that because i'm also very adept at writing what i am a woman <laughs> um but I, I think it is less, you know, I think there, is, there has been some evolve evolution there. And, you know, I don't think he's totally, like, fixed everything. But, you know, I think with a writer as prolific as Stephen King and with a writer as, as you know, really talented as Stephen King, I am more likely to look at the whole of the work and be like, you know, how has his work evolved and, and take like this academic approach, which again is maybe the wrong approach. Maybe I should be canceling Stephen King, but. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I think that anytime you, you're, you're willing to consider things and, and look at them and like think about them and like assess them and, 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 you know, just think things through and like allow yourself to sit with stuff. That's for the better. And I think part of it, honestly, I think it's, it's almost a little bit easier to, to tackle if a thing is part of the work. Because that gives you something to sit with. It's like, okay, exactly. so his, his depiction of this woman in the story is upsetting and like bad. 
And what does that mean? Like, cause that's part of a work that maybe other parts of it, we really respond to and enjoy and like connect to. So what does it mean that there's this one aspect of it that is like really troubling to us? Whereas JK Rowling is like, here's a person who, you know, created this whole world that is like, you know, uh, uh, has its issues, but overall does not give you the impression of someone who hates trans people. But then mm-hmm. the person who made that world, you know, now is deeply, deeply hateful. Yeah. Well, and it, it doesn't, you know, when it is part of the part of the, you know, piece, it doesn't feel, you know, it feels like there's room for growth more so. Whereas like you feel with when it's not part of the piece that like it's something they're covering up. Yeah. in some way yeah. you know like it feels it feels more subconscious right yeah like it feels like the problematic parts of it are parts that maybe were not understood to be problematic at the time but yeah i know and i think you know sitting with it and grappling with it and you know like i'm not gonna say stephen king is not problematic he very much is but um i think that there's something to like looking at a person's growth and giving them the chance to grow. And, you know, I don't want to excuse anybody's issues or whatever. But I think in the long run, what Stephen King has given to writing and culture and everything will outlast the shitty parts. In the same way that I think J.K. Rowling's work will outlast the shitty parts of her. Like, I think when J.K. Rowling's long dead and her work becomes public domain like that's going to be a happy day for a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) yes especially warner brothers oh yeah (laughs) okay now i know i said i wasn't going to excuse it and i don't want to but i will say when i do read stuff in king's writing that is uh, uh, upsetting and like gross or weird it does take some of the edge off for me personally i can't speak for anyone else but it, it helps me some that the i do not sense in his writing an overall like philosophical opposition to women or like, like a hatred of women. Uh, many times his, you know, he's a care, he's a horror writer. He's created many monstrous characters. And I would say more than anything, the character he most, the, the, the thing I, I think about most when I think about his villains is like the monstrous masculine, right? The feminine is, you know, it, it's not always depicted in like a, like a fully human realized light, but like many times the villains of his work are, men who's like whose traits that you have who have traits that we would associate with masculinity uh like you know like like power and like you know control and like you know assertiveness that have like curdled and like taken them over like in this in the you know in the uh example of jack torrance from the shining for example uh men who's like desire to possess and control women has literally turned them into horrible like non-human entities that is much more present in his work and i think that's because and not not to psychoanalyze too much but uh, you know the shining is definitely like a uh somewhat autobiographical in its depiction of like a man who was so crippled by addiction that he terrorizes his family uh you know to 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 a a crazy extent uh and i'm thinking and i'm reading right now actually uh the book rose matter which is one of his lesser 90s novels but it's about a woman who is escaping a abusive marriage and which i find like you know occasionally it's like you get the sense of like okay steven you're not a not you're not you're not a woman and you don't really know how to write as if you're in a a woman's body and it's kind of obvious right but there are also times when the the empathy for this woman's situation really shines through and you kind of 
you get the sense, at least I do personally, um, that he is trying to see things from her perspective and empathize with them. He's just not quite fully able to because he is he is a man. He's writing things again, like I said, in a very from a very like uncritical, almost unconscious point of view. I I definitely see that, and I think a lot of the times the sort of like the sort of like deep, um, not even deep, like sort of shallow, uh, like what I would call like misogynistic portrayals of women in this particular book are like, they do feel character driven in a way that is not that you would not see. Like, it doesn't feel like, like the, the author as a whole has like a, an, a thing about women. It feels like the character that he's writing does. It, it's hard to separate that because a lot of times those things feel so unnecessary to the character. So you're like, it must be something weird, but um, it doesn't like, I, I agree with you that it doesn't feel like he specifically has like issues though. He might. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and listen, he's a, he's I, a man feels- in America who grew up in like the sixties, the fifties and sixties, like in, in like a rural, like Northeastern community. He probably has some views on, on, on some stuff that, we wouldn't like. Yeah. I'm not, I, it not feels, saying that, that that's good or like, you know, a thing we should yeah. be cool with, but it is how things are, unfortunately. It feels a lot more like what you're saying, like he can't really like get inside that person. And so it, it makes for a much less empathetic portrayal. Uh, I, I think another another point of point on, on this um, topic is, is his use of racial uh, racial slurs in his writing. Uh, which is which is he uses them pretty more so than I would be comfortable with if I was writing at the, like this much, um, but it's always it's always tied to a character, and oftentimes that character is the narrator in that section, or like you know we're hearing their thoughts because he's, he's he's very one of the things I love about him is he's very devoted to getting into a character's head even if they are like the worst person in the world, um, but that means that you hear a lot of racially insensitive language. Um, to say the least. And, but I think that's, and again, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, that, that is, that is, you know, even if it makes me a little bit uneasy and I, I'm kind of like, okay, Steve, like maybe not so much. Uh, I get it though, because he is a, he's an American writer. And I think one of, one of the greatest American writers of all time, personally, um, I know that that's, you know, it's kind of a, I guess I guess I get a little bit self-conscious saying that because it's kind of like a low culture opinion, but you know, whatever. No one, no one actually gives a shit. Uh, but but he is writing about America, and the American like condition is one of like extreme racism. There's a lot of like racism in this country, like you know, baked into it that exists like throughout large swaths of the you know country. I don't even want to say it like that because that, that implies that I think that racism is like regional anyway. And I don't think that's the no, case. Racism and, and racial capitalism are, are like the foundation of this country. And I think it's hard to really expect a, you know, realistic portrayal of, of the American experience without that. Yeah. And I think he's writing and, and, and again, these people are usually at the very least complicated figures, usually villainous. Usually if someone's like in a Stephen King story, saying the n-word over and over again they are a flat-out bad person uh but i understand some people don't like seeing that language used at all by a white writer and i i, I am sympathetic to that that point of view i don't again i am uh, coming at it from my own point of view but i don't really agree with it 
I, I think, and I think it is different from another artist who I am very fond of, who I will say I think is much more uh, problematic to deal with than Stephen King, which is Quentin Tarantino, who has a history of writing characters who say the N-word a, a lot, like a, like a lot, a lot, and then playing those characters in his movies. That is, and again, I love Quentin Tarantino, like very strong feelings about him, but that is to me much more like sus, I guess, than King writing from the perspective of a bad person who says stuff that I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't like to say or hear. Yeah, I haven't actually seen that many Quentin Tarantino movies. I mean, he's good. Well, yeah, he, he he's made some very good movies that I'm very fond of. And uh, he, he himself is movies. quite problematic, though. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a yeah, it's that's that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> Stephen King, though. Uh, any other stories, Kelsey? Because, again, I, I could just go through this list of like stories and just yeah. like rattle off like probably 10 to 20 minutes about every one of these. But I is there anything that, else you, you find interesting? Any stories you could the, read? The great thing about this collection is that there are so many, like, it goes in so many different directions. It really gives you, like, a nice, like, breadth of the Stephen King experience. <laughs> um, uh, I think, you know, we talked a little off air about Survivor Type, which is... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. Is it is a like a diary a diary like sort of epistolary story where uh, the the main character is writing to himself um it's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> we, we should talk about the premise of survivor type because the premise is really the whole thing here so survivor type uh the greatest short story ever written uh is about a man who crashed who shipwrecks sorry on a deserted island uh with no source of food and very slim hope of rescue who just happens to be a uh, trained surgeon who has a bunch of heroin with him. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and basically over the course of the story uh, begins to eat himself mm-hmm. uh, after cutting off his foot for, for medical reasons and, and then eating it for, I guess also technically medical reasons. <laughs> um, and it's just a story about a guy who wants to do whatever it takes to survive and you know what sometimes when you when you want to survive you gotta eat yourself cannibalism auto cannibalism auto cannibalism he eats his own foot he eats his other <laughs> foot then he starts working up his legs and um eventually gets to his hand one possibly both hands uh before the story ends uh with a very very upsetting final final uh final line mm-hmm. and yeah it is a story that is so, 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 it's a very basic premise, but you can just, you can really feel the joy he had in like hitting on this idea and then like, like just letting it play out naturally. Yeah. Uh, that whenever I think about it, I just think, man, Stephen King's great. Fucked up, but great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I think like, I think this, this particular um, collection just has so many like notes it hits in, in, in to make a beautiful symphony of, uh, of, <laughs> of American contemporary writing. Um, Cause like that story is, is very well done, but also like disgusting. <laughs> um, I think the, the other stories that we sort of discussed were the raft, which, um, 
I thought was also good and also had some like issues with the women that I had in a way that like made, took me out of it in a lot of ways, but like is scary in a way that a lot of the other ones in this, um, this particular collection are not like in that you are, there is a suspense and a, and a horror in it that I feel like not all of these, these stories have. Yeah. And I, th- I think the raft is also notable because the way the characters behave is very like sort of repulsive and uh, upsetting. Uh, they're very kind of flatly depicted. There's not much to them and there's no moral dimension to the story whatsoever. It's like four like college students who go out into a raft and then a monster eats them one by one, um, which is good, which again leads, lends it to like that sort of sort of like uh, unsettling um, element to it, and the depiction of like <laughs> I, I mean I wouldn't say women are depicted as like especially bad in the raft, just they get the shit beaten out of them like literally, like they yeah. There's there's one like woman on the raft with them, like one like other college student who is like they keep like doing that thing where they hit her to, to calm her down. And they do it like four or five times. And eventually it's like, Jesus Christ, they're beating the hell out of this poor woman. For what reason? <laughs> like, you know? For what? And for what? <laughs> but 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 I think to your point, though, it is because there, there is like no, uh, there's there's like no uh, sense of like goodness or redemption to anything about the story, even the way it's written, that makes it so scary. It's just like, what if you were like, you know, you like it's a couple, bunch of young people who end up dying for basically no reason. And it's like freaky and weird. And he, I also see, I've, I've always liked the raft, even though, you know, even in, in, in taking into account what all, all I've just said, which I do stand by. Um, there is such a, just a, again, the, uh, you can really feel his like sick, dark glee in the way he describes the way people are killed in the story. Like there's the one guy who gets like the monster, grabs him up through the boards of the raft they're on and like pulls him down very slowly <laughs> uh, where it's like, okay, Stephen King had a really good time describing the way that you would force a human body through the slats of a raft. And you know what? I think that's beautiful. I feel like Stephen King would have a really good time playing the Sims. Oh yeah. Right. And he would just find interesting, weird ways to kill his Sims. <laughs> well, I wonder how many, Stephen King's we've lost because they just could get that outlet through the Sims, you know? You know? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, how many just like storytelling in a weird way? Yeah, how many like Clive Barkers and Stephen King's other out there who would like write stories just about torturing their characters, uh, but they got that fixed through the Sims and they just didn't do it. Huh? Makes yeah. you think. Makes you think. Yeah, so I think the raft is a really interesting story in in that way, and that like it 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 really showcases the terror that Stephen King is is able to evoke. I just, the, the, what impresses me so much about this collection is like just the levels and the different sort of tones that are uh, um, sort of sprinkled throughout it. Um, I only have like a few more things I want to talk about. <laughs> I'm not doing great in like as a not letting you go on for 20 minutes about everything. But um <laughs> Uh, there was one thing you sent me when we were both reading this was that the man who would not shake hands hits different in 2021. <laughs> it does, man. It really fucking does. <laughs> well, first of all, the man who would not shake hands is about a... Well, let me back up. So there's there's a club. There's a gentleman's club. 
in yeah. New York, I think, is where it takes place. Uh, where fancy men, I don't know how else to describe them, fancy men meet and, like, you know, sit in their, like, big leather armchairs Yeah, I assume they're wearing, like, smoking jackets and they have pipes. Like, yeah. you know, they play <laughs> yeah. poker. <laughs> and They, they just... all look like Hugh Hefner in my head. <laughs> yes, it's that kind of guy. And they all tell stories. And what I love about this, first of all, this story, the setting of the story, um, and they mention it offhandedly in the uh, the narration, but uh, this this these these people were in a different Stephen King story called the bot, uh, not the body, holy shit, uh, breathing method, right? Which breathing method is the final story in the collection, different seasons, which came out I think before this. It and is was, indeed preceded by uh, mm-hmm. this book was preceded by different seasons. There we go. That is a there's four novellas. Uh, three of them have made, been made into movies. Uh, two of those movies are are very good. We got Stand by Me and we got Shawshank Redemption, both classics. Oh, I've I've seen Stand by Me. It's good, right? It's a good movie. Yeah. Um, the collection, the the stories are great. Uh, apt, apt pupil is his own podcast. We could do a, literally a whole podcast about that story, so I won't get into it. Uh, but the fourth story in that collection is set in the same club as this story. Um, yeah, and then they make a point in, in both. I think of the uh, uh, the tra- the inscription above the fireplace. Uh, it is the tale, not he who tells it. Which again, I think is very, you know that that is as as like you know Stephen King is a very sincere writer, but that bit of like set dressing is maybe the most sincere he ever gets. Uh, which is it's, like, yeah, this this is how I feel about my job. It's weird though, because I totally like kind of disagree in that it is the person who tells it that makes the tale. Like, and really? I think I think that's what like because like, you know, when you have all these stories that are are these frame stories, like the the narrator is a huge part of the of the tone and everything. Like to me that that is like a huge part of the story. And, and if you take out the narrator, the story is not as good, you know? That's a, that's a, that's true. Uh, that, and that, that kind of points towards, I guess the fact that you can really only take that little inscription in the story as a metafictional thing. Yeah. Like, I think it, cause you're right. It's like the, these stories are all like, many of them are based around the teller and the, if the teller was not as likable or as you know interesting or, or whatever, we wouldn't like them. Uh, but I think Stephen King here is just trying to say, like, the 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 value of my work is not in me and my because at this point he was already a celebrity, I think, because uh, this is like the mid '80s he wrote this story, so he was already like becoming like the master of horror and like a you know this big like figure in pop culture. And I think he was trying to push back against that sort of uh, you know mythology by saying like, listen, me and my whole shit. That's not important. What matters is the stories I produce, which is, as you say, interesting because, again, Stephen King his, him, himself is so bound up in these stories in such a way that he it would be impossible to extricate them, but whatever. Um, but anyway, The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands is about a guy who, for reasons that are, that are kind of complex to get into here, um, and if we're being fair, a little bit racially weird in their own right, yeah, a little, little. There's a bit of a colonialist bent to these to the story, which I think is kind of is partially intentional and partially kind of un, uh, un, un unacknowledged. But um, it's about a guy who can't shake hands, and and kind of what that does to him, and how well, and, his, and his anxiety touched. about physical and like yeah, like physical contact and like like and the people 
in the story assume he's afraid of germs and that he won't shake hands because he's afraid that he's going to get a virus that will kill him, which I think goes without saying, hits very differently now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there is a moment towards the very end of the story. And I just kind of want to... Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I only saw him once, and once was enough. I've never forgotten. But it did serve to bring me out of my own time of mourning. For any man who can walk among his fellows is not wholly alone. And I get... I honestly, this is so lame. I get chills just reading that right now. Any man who can walk among his fellows is not wholly alone. There's something in there. Because that, that is the narrator like saying like his wife, I mean, his wife died, the narrator's wife. And he's been like in this period of mourning for years. And then he meets this guy who literally cannot touch, touch another anyone. person. Yeah, can't just like be out in the world, like, you know, going to and fro, just meeting people the way we all used to do <laughs> right <laughs> um and he's like listen as long as i can do that i'm actually okay and so the fact that we can't do that right now really really struck me and really as i said has a i find it very moving yeah i agree in a lot of ways um and, and as i'm saying like that we all can do that i i, I do I, I do i'm aware that like you know not everyone at any point can actually do that but i think you take my meaning which is yeah, that, no, for sure. that life has, as we know, it has been so fully disrupted now for an insane amount of time at this point. I mean, it's been a year. We were talking today in my department meeting about how, like, we thought when we stopped going to work in March of last year, like how long it was going to be until we went back to work. <laughs> <laughs> And like even the people who were who was like like my personal estimate was like it's gonna be like fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no, I was sure. like the I was like the longest person. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like my my now boss is like, it's gonna be like two weeks, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, it really it really is. Looking back on it now, that period of time is like I don't mean this as like uh, a sort of like whatever. It was like nine eleven in slow motion. Yeah, no, like, you're not wrong. There was this this massive shift in how we viewed the world and our place in it. I think to an extent, and how we had to deal with it. The kind of with nine eleven, it was like okay, it hit us all. Uh, poor choice of words. It kind of made itself known to us all at once, um, and that that sort of you know that was part of what was disorienting about it. But now it's like we, even after things open back up and sort of like life as, as, you know, as we, as we are able to, you know, as they say in the story, uh, uh, what did he say? Go amongst our fellow man. Any man who can live, be amongst his fellows or something like that. What is it? And it's not, it's just, it's something about the way he says it. So yeah. Any man who can walk among his fellows is not wholly alone. But once we can walk among our fellows again, there will still be like, you know, a before and after of this, this time. And in March of last year, it was like, you know, we were watching that change happen very gradually. I know it kind of at the time felt like it was all at once. But when you look back on, yeah, like last March, like like last March 15th or whatever, right? People were still like, oh, we'll be back in you know, the office in like a couple of weeks. And I and even I, at that point, I was like, well, you know what? This is all awful. And it's going to last for a little while. But hey, when summer comes, we're going to be all back out there, baby. When, when, when June hits, it's going to be a whole new world. Whole new world. 
And now it's like, okay, yeah. maybe maybe there will be some improvement by June of 2021. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, so that that whole story, which like obviously the the um the whole sort of ending of it is not about germs or a, a worldwide, you know, pandemic or whatever, but it does like cuz I I still have the sensation that like when I'm watching something where people are like in a large crowd or touching, even if it wasn't made this year or if it was, if it's old, I still have like this visceral reaction in which I'm like, no, stop. (laughs) Um, And, and so like that sort of whole situation, it hit in a way that was like, oh, I haven't actually like consumed any media where like, this is a, an issue. And and so like I felt connected to that in a specific way, but also it, the you know the end of the story is not about that. So you're like, okay, interesting. Um, I think it's a good story, and I think it's it's a very adept um, frame framing device and frame tale. I think that's probably one of his better like talents is like sort of telling stories while telling stories because you in in that. In that story in particular, you have such a sense of the character of the narrator in a way that you don't in some of the other ones. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely highly recommend that one. It was it was great. Um, I have two more stories that I want to talk about. <laughs> um, one is The Ballad of the Flexible Bullet, just because I, I really enjoyed it in a way I didn't expect to. It felt so specific and like lived in in a way but also very fanciful and like (laughs) wistful i you know i listened to the reach today that was the last the last thing i had to listen to which was the last story in the book and i didn't really connect with it all that much which was interesting because it's one of the only stories where the narrator is a woman and i think that just kind of has to do with stephen king is not super adept at at getting into that you know place but the Ballad of Flexible Bullet is about a writer, is about an and is told by an editor, and I think that is just like such this weird peek into this like this this place and this thing, and it's kind of science fictiony and it's kind of fantasy and it's kind of like F. Scott Fitzgeraldy. <laughs> um, it's like all of these things in in one in one thing, and I I I really enjoyed that particular story. And I could not specifically pinpoint why. I would guess a lot of it comes from just the fact that Stephen King writing about writers is often very good. I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, you wrote this about a writer because you were just on autopilot when you were making this character and he's the protagonist, right? And him being a writer doesn't actually matter. It's just like you were just, you know, thinking about what if this happened to me and it spun out from that. And so in a lot of ways, like when Stephen King writes a story about a writer, it's like, Okay, whatever. But you can usually sort of like push the writerly part aside. Like even The Shining, which is about a writer, like very, like very, you know, specifically, could basically be about anybody who has a job that they can do by themselves. Yeah. Like it's not like I mean, it's kind of, but you know, it's like it's not super. Like you know, the haunted hotel is a thing that could happen to anybody. Basically. Well, yeah, it's like I think I think he has those stories where like the 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 crux of the story is not the character but the situation or the like object like i think word process of the gods is like that where like the whole crux of the story is on the type 
the word processor, not the typewriter. The you know, it, and that's what it's about. And The Shining is about the hotel um, and the people put into it, and and more about what that specific character's reaction is to that. Like it's a reactive thing as opposed to like a proactive thing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the bout of the flexible bullet is like so entrenched in this like editor editorial world um that like it doesn't make sense if you're not if like the the characters aren't in this world aren't aren't a writer and an editor you know yeah he's drawing on experience and his like own personal world in a very direct way as opposed to like as i as i said multiple times the sort of unconscious way where it, just the way his brain generates stories a lot of times the main character is essentially Stephen King. And usually it's, as I said, kind of secondary to the story as a whole. Uh, but in this case, it is really, a, it's about that relationship and about the creative process and, you know, kind of the, the effect it has on people and like how it might, you know, I think the idea of like a, a writer who kind of loses his way and kind of like gets caught up in the, in a sense, kind of gets consumed by the process is very personal to Stephen King. Like and he, um, relatable to anybody who's ever tried to write anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, it sucks. It's hard. <laughs> hard. <laughs> I shouldn't say it sucks, but it is hard. It is taxing in a very unique way. Um, and I think that's like, it's weird because one of the, one of the key texts for Stephen King and the way I read him anyway, is his book on writing, which is kind of craft advice, but it is more than anything else. Like, his biography, his autobiography. And what you really get from that is that he is a man, as I said before, who has an addictive personality. And he has found, and he struggled with this for many years, obviously, but he's found a way to um, kind of like turn that part of himself to a better end in his writing. There's a whole like through line in on writing about how he is kind of like, you know, his, his, he, the position of his desk in his office is important to him because he wants it to be uh, arranged. I can't remember the exact arrangement he describes in the book, but it's basically that you he, you we should have you should have your world set up so that you know that your creative pursuit that is um, that is a fuel for your life. Like what you do there 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 in your creative work can be like yeah like a thing that you know helps you in your life. But it should never be the other way around. You should never look at your actual life and the people in your life and your family and, and loved ones as fodder for your writing. That, that, that You need to flip that if that's how you think of it. And I think that um, if I'm remembering correctly, because my memory in the story is a little bit, little bit um, shaky, but the bout of the flexible bullet is not ex- explicitly the inverse of that, but could certainly be read as that. Like here's someone who for whom the process consumed his life and again it's fascinating because this at this time that was happening to stephen king his you know writing and his drug use were so intertwined that they did kind of like take over his whole life and the fact that he was able to fight his way out of that is very important to his later you know decades of work yeah, and I and I think you know that that's kind of part of the story is that the the narrator has like a, a drinking problem, and that is like what drives the plot in a lot of ways. But to kind of like to get to the last story I want to talk about, and sort of Stephen King being the the conduit, the often the main character is sort of like a, a facet of him. 
in some ways. Um, the last story I want to talk about is Grandma, in that, like, I think this and The Reach are one of the two stories where, like, it is harder to recognize the Stephen King in the, the narrator and the main character of the story. Um, I didn't like The Reach as much, but uh, I thought Grandma was a very, very, like, adept exploration of, like, a, a, a alternative point of view character for him, which in a lot of ways could still be, like, a sort of, like, exploration of his own psyche and, and shit. But um, in a less obvious way than, like, most of these characters are, like, most of the, the narrators and the main characters of these stories are, you know, men in their, like, 30s or 40s, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas the, 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 the narrator of The Reach is a woman and the narrator of Grandma is a child. Um, and I think with Grandma, it, like, it really works in a very creepy way. Um, it's it's another one where I'm like this is scary and I don't know like I there is fear in me that has been brought about by this writing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that that's a very impressive thing to put you in the in the the point of view of a child, especially because a child and this is a, this is a story about a child dealing with a lot of things, but primarily like you know an, an older relative who dies, mm-hmm. uh, and that is a frightening thing for a child to deal with in the, the best of circumstances which the kid and grandma is not in the is best not <laughs> his, yeah. his grandma is like a witch who worships like cthulhu like she's the the, the worst grandma you could probably really have that's that's interesting though because that is that is really is true but that he he does such a good job of that and that in that that imparts such fear and anxiety to the the audience um which is which is interesting. I- to me grandma is like the Cthulhu mythos story that Stephen King wrote. Like he's wrote, he's written one or two, I think that are like explicitly like about the Lovecraft world. And this is one of them, but it kind of doesn't, you don't, you don't need that to, to get the effect of the story. Yeah. Like I don't like the thing, I'm not afraid of like a monster or like a, you know, like a, a demon sort of thing. Like, I mean, and this maybe comes from like my own personal experience, whereas like I was a latchkey kid, I was home alone a lot. Like I, you know, there, there is like a specific like relation to to the fear there of being not able to contact anyone um but yeah like i don't think you even need like i, I almost think that the story would be better without that sort of mythos as a part of it like it's just scary to deal with a dead body yeah, <laughs> like yeah. as like an eight-year-old child like um but i think he does such a good job of of imparting those feelings of like what that would be like for a kid who hasn't really experienced death before. I don't know. I, th- I I thought it was one of the times when I was reading this book where I was like, oh, this like, like from like a craft standpoint is like really impressive. And it, it is like, what is, if you were a kid and there was a dead body in the house you were in, what's the worst thing you could imagine happening to you at every stage of that situation? And it happens in the story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah i think i think grandma was probably the book the the story that i was most like scared during which i think i think does sort of come from my own inherent like you know if this happened to me i would be so fucking freaked out that i would like it would be so bad um the ability to make people scared is impressive to me 
And it's interesting because the only Stephen King story I've ever read that I experienced like like notable fear, like like legitimate like fear while reading it, is Gerald's Game, which is a story, which is a book, a novel about a woman who ends up um, like in, in an isolated cabin, handcuffed to the bed after a sex game with her husband goes awry and he he dies and she's alone in this cabin. But there is a specific. Yeah, no, it's, thank it's a, you. It's a freaky concept, first of all. But there is a specific moment uh, that that where like she sees someone standing like at the other side of the room that like while I was reading it, I, w- I mean, I was in bed reading it as like, a, you know, a 16 year old or whatever. And it like, it, I, I couldn't sleep for a while. It was like so fucked up and like freaky that I like it. It's just so like, that's the thing. It's like, even if you're not a person who is like easily frightened by a book, which I think is true of both of us, I, I, I believe Stephen King has written enough things and is a good enough writer that you will eventually find a thing that like, taps into a fear you might not even have acknowledged that you had but it will play on that and you will be freaked out yeah it's like i i feel like um you know the raft was really like scary in a way that is like general and and you know everyone can feel a little bit of fear when interacting with that story and the way it is crafted and the way it is is it is written but i feel like grandma like tapped into a fear specific to me <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and that in itself is kind of impressive uh yeah from it, that it, standpoint it's really exceptional when i when a when a work of, of of horror does that like i felt that way watching the section um from vhs the first vhs movie uh the honeymoon i think it's called the t west section i don't know this is not relevant to you, Kelsey, because you haven't seen it. But it is like it, it's a situation where, like, I watched that that section of the of the movie. It's an anthology movie, and the way it fucked me up was so intense that I was like, "Oh, there is something in me that is like about my life and my experiences that is like specifically being activated by this." Mm-hmm. And it's so when that happens, like when you're reading or watching a horror thing, you're seeking, you're really seeking that out at some level. So when it happens, it's like, "Oh shit, nice." Nice. <laughs> yeah. Good job. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad I read this to be honest. Like I, you know, like I said I haven't, you know, my experience with Stephen King is is um Alone 2263 and uh The Shining which we watched together. Mm-hmm. Um it's but this movie. does make it's a great movie. <laughs> um, this does make me want to like experience more Stephen King in a way that I was not sure that I would I, I, in, you know, specific doses. And uh, um, I do, the thing is like, I do think I want to read the dark tower. I started the gunslinger, but didn't really get into it. And, but you know, maybe I will try again. <laughs> I mean, I think we all know there's a, there's a bill out there in this, podcasting world you and i've created that is due that is due it is due i either have to read can i can i exchange the reading of infinite jest for the reading of the gunslinger series because i feel like i I would happily take that exchange i do not want to try to like parse (laughs) an author whose like personal life is like problematic david foster wallace says i'm not ready to tackle that i i can't (laughs) not ready to tackle that i don't i don't have a duel for it I think, you know, maybe in the future we should do our seven or eight or however many books there are part series uh, on The Gunslinger. There's there's seven. And, the Dark and, Tower. Um, like, like, like three of them are, are like of a reasonable length. Seven of them are like Stephen King long, which is like, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> um, although no, knowing that you read that you've read 11, 22, 63 makes me feel like maybe the stand would have been a better entry point because you've done the really? long King book before, right? Yeah. I mean, I thought 11, 22, 63 was too long, yeah. but um, <laughs> I, I, I get the idea that from reading just the mist and that book that Stephen King to me personally could probably use an editor in in uh, the one who's a little more harsh yeah. um yeah uh, I, mean, I, I, in, I think there's there's books where his his tendency towards length uh works for him and i think the the dark tower series is one because it's a series of books and mm-hmm. they, they are essentially fantasy books which i think are like you know is a genre that lends itself to you know length and, and the stand which is a like capital E epic tale. Like that is a story that needs to be told over a long period of time. And the, the length actually like makes you more invested in the world. Whereas there are some things like, you know, 11, 22, 63. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm still right now trying to get through Rose matter or maybe it's like, maybe this, this doesn't need to be 600 pages, Steven. Yeah. Maybe that's a little bit much. Maybe, maybe like 400 would have been good. 500 even yeah i I will say though developing a real taste for for king's books in high school does give you the the advantage of like when you encounter fiction later on in life it's like oh 300 pages whatever easy (laughs) that's nothing yeah okay well i will put the gunslinger which is the first dark tower book if i recall correctly yeah look if if you're ready to go i'm ready to go whenever you are just just give me the word and we can start up this seven part epic series and i will i i I think we should maybe slot that in for like this summer (laughs) yeah yeah um got some other stuff to read (laughs) as long as we're on on the topic i will say just just to note uh the mist and mrs todd's shortcut um and those are the two yeah those two are, I think, explicitly tied to the Dark Tower series. Interesting. Okay. Um, in a way that will make, I, you know, as long as we're talking about it, I will say we can table that for now and come back around to it later on. But those two are very, and I think that, you know, I, I know The Mist and Mrs. Todd's Shortcut weren't your favorite of the series, of this this, yeah. this collection. But I didn't dislike The Mist. I just thought it was too long. <laughs> yeah. but they're both stories that are very complete in and of themselves. But if you are like, conversant with the mythology of the Dark Tower books mm-hmm. and, and Stephen King's overall multiverse thing, uh, it does grant them both a meaning, which I think is the... In my mind, I know it's because I encountered this when I was a teenager, but in my mind, that is the the pinnacle of what a shared universe can do. Like a a, a, uni- a fictional universe does not take away meaning from individual entries, but adds greater meaning to them once you understand them as part of a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Uh, so we've been, going about for, that. we've been going for over an hour and a half. Uh, we should probably stop. Anything else? Anything else you wanted to, wanted to you know get out there about the the book before we stop? No, I I think I I think I got everything. I think I got everything I wanted to out there, for the most part. There, um, for some reason, when I think about this this book, the first book the story I think of is not the stories I like. It's actually Beach World. 
which is which is another science fiction story about a, a couple of guys who crash land on a, on a world that is sand. It's just an entire planet of sand. Uh, it, it's a sci-fi story, kind of similar to The Reach in that Stephen, not The Reach, I'm sorry, The Jaunt in that King creates a whole universe just for this one story. What I love about the, uh, the about Beach World though is that unlike The Jaunt, the story he tells in this is like very simple and kind of dumb. But there's something I love so much about a guy, about Stephen King being like, okay, what if there was a planet that was like just a beach and you were on it? What would that be like? And then he what says like, like, and he's like, but no, really, what would that be like? And he taught, and he like just goes through the entire process of that. And there's a moment. I just feel like an episode of The Misery Loves Company. <laughs> oh, for sure. They should go to Beach World in that. Morgan, if you're listening to this, they should go to, they should go to Beach World. <laughs> Um, Morgan, there's a, I could tell a whole story about Morgan making fun of me for loving Stephen King in high school, but uh, <laughs> I, I'd rather leave that to him personally. Um, there's there's a moment I just want to end on this if we can. There's a moment in Beach World where uh, the character is is talking about he's trying to he's trying to you know figure out what the situation is in this Beach World they're on and if if they can escape from it. Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's talking about they're on this world of, full of giant sand dunes. The wind was constant. They would move. Over a period of decades and centuries, they would. Well, would walk. Wasn't that what they called dunes on a beach? Walking dunes? He seemed to remember that from his childhood. Or school. Or someplace. And what in the hell did it matter? <laughs> and then he, the, the character moves on, right? There's something about that passage that, that struck me when I was reading it. And again, the story is very dumb and not really, <laughs> doesn't have a ton of value to it. But the fact that in that moment, you can't tell if what you're reading is the character working through a series of thoughts he's having about the, his environment or Stephen King as a writer, like in the moment, like searching his own mind, his own memory of, of dunes and sand terminology and just like, letting that fly in the story and just like typing it all out and leaving it in the story. And the fact that there is not a distinguishing like barrier between those two things is to me kind of what makes Stephen King who he is. He is just presenting to you in a sense, his thoughts and the stories that are coming out of his mind, almost as like fully formed things that he's just like presenting to you and you can like them or not uh, because he has like dozens and dozens of them. So if you like one <laughs> of them, the thing is, you're probably going to like another one. And the thing about that is, if you like two stories, they're probably connected in some way. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. I find that just fun and engaging yeah. and, and, and cool. I, I love the idea of this like multiverse of this that, that all Stephen King stories like link back together. And I don't know if that's totally like completely true, but it seems like it has the possibility to be at the very most, the very least. Um, I don't know. Cause like, it, it's such an interesting thing because I feel that's one of the things I really enjoy about like romance novels is that a lot of times like, uh, you know, two books in the same, you know, from the same author in the same series are in the same universe, but like explore a, di- a completely different relationship than like a- another book. You know, it's a sequel, but it's not really a sequel. Um, and I think that that's just like a really 
interesting way to like look at writing and 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 um world building in that like you you know you've done all this work in one book why would you just you know move on to a new thing (laughs) um when you've like established these characters and as someone who like my favorite part of writing is is world building and and building out uh relationships and characters and and much less like the uh actual writing part (laughs) i i love the idea that you just can create universes and and i think stephen king i this makes me want to read the dark tower because I want to see how everything is like connected. Well, listener stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> look out for the next, uh, mini series within this series, uh, coming sometime probably this year. Listen, it might be the next thing you hear from us for all I know. We don't know. Listen, we we are doing our best, and we just do this for us. So you know, if you're enjoying it, that's sure. great. We do the we're, <laughs> no, we do this for our fans, all all forty ish of them. <laughs> special thanks, special thank you to Danny about of the Weeping Willards uh, for use of their song "Outside in the Rain," available now on Bandcamp. Special thanks to Carly Sussman who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Uh, listen to our podcast. Listen to Kelsey's other podcast, Musical Theater Deathmatch. Yeah, it happens where there's three episodes. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen to, um, it's a work in progress. Listen yeah. to Andrew Ninja Warrior, which you can listen to from in its, entirety. In its entirety, like a book. Like a book. <laughs> listen to The Misery Loves Company from friend of the podcast, good friend of the podcast, Morgan Stewart. It's actually. All of season one available. The miniseries me and Morgan did together available. It's all available. It's all fun. It's all good. Listen to it. That's the Misery Loves Company. Yes. Don't forget about it, it, It's a sci-fi comedy podcast about aliens. If you hit a podcast that's just a bunch of, I assume, white men complaining about their lives, you've gone too far. And, uh, okay, so listen. We, we say a thing at the end of this podcast every time. We've done it for... At least, I'm gonna say 60 episodes, maybe. That sounds right. That this this phrase, I've been seeing a lot of pushback against this particular phrase on Twitter. I don't oh. think we're the cause of all of it. Certainly, we're the cause of some of it because we are a, a hot, hot uh, top of the charts leftist podcast. Obviously, we're big in the Twitter sphere. <laughs> we, we're we're huge, honestly. We're so big. Huge. Uh, huge. Uh, and I, and I, but I, but I, I want to say, I just want to preface this because I don't want to change our, our, our sign off because people online don't like it. But I want to say, I want to make this clear. This is not a classist thing. Okay. We're not saying if you can't afford to, or otherwise do the thing we're about to say that you are bad or that we don't want you to listen or that we dismiss you in any way. Okay. Uh, but what I want to make clear about this, our, our, our sign off is that we are speaking to someone specifically this is the that person has changed over the course of the podcast it's not the same person because we have power and we have been able to force these people into the thing (laughs) yes yes. but we are saying this to one person in particular and i hope that person hears it i hope that everyone else kind of understands the spirit that we're speaking in which is the spirit of you know of self-care and self-love which i think are two things everyone can get behind healthcare is a human right Healthcare and it is should a human be available right. to everyone, free at the point of access, mm-hmm. which we say before we say our sign off every time. Which we think is true. We agree which with that. It's true. 
because it's a leftist podcast. <laughs> but again, we I must say, if you are hearing this right now, uh, you you were probably one of the people that we're speaking to. It's so very please likely. hear this in the spirit of love and care. Go to therapy. <laughs> please. Please. <laughs> they wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Mention me. Welcome to the Deadly Serious Ruin My Life podcast, <laughs> where we're calling out and holding people accountable. My levels are all fucked up. Uh, can I turn them? Maybe they're fine. I guess I just can't. I think they're fine. Well, they'll definitely be fucked up if I do this. That's bad. Don't do that. <laughs>